0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi, Audings. This is the Something
1: Scary Podcast. I'm your Ate Sapphire. The concept of making friends is kind of odd if you think about it. You meet a total stranger and you both mutually decide to build a relationship. It requires a lot of trust. But if you choose correctly, those relationships can be so meaningful and beneficial. This episode is about the times that are not. First, we'll hear about a young boy who befriends the new kid at school. Then, we'll follow a demonologist and his companion to an exorcism. After that, a girl creates an imaginary friend to keep her company. And finally, we'll witness the blood oath of two best friends. I receive hundreds of amazing story submissions every single week. As always, the first story you hear is one that I've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com snarled. Then I read a few more stories for the podcast. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. And if you'd like to support the show and receive bonus content, consider joining our Patreon. Our patrons play a huge role in keeping the show running every single week. For more information on how you can help the show and also be a part of it, visit patreon.com snarled. Before we get into the stories, I want to read some listener mail. This was in response to the Deducation episode from May 14th. I am Miriam. I was ecstatic you did a video about an Islamic myth as I am a Muslim, and I have had and still have personal experience with jinns. I am also shocked someone did speak about them, which I'll explain later. A little background on jinns. They are demonic, black, shadow figures in Islam. Yes, they have the ability to possess. Before humans roamed the earth, jinns were the inhabitants of the earth after dinosaurs, but they were bad and often had wars with each other. Hence, God killed them and banished them to stay here. Jinns also have families as well. Jinns can be chased away with Quran verses being played or by a high religious person. However, jinns absolutely hate to be talked about, which is why there is not much about them on horror channels or in general. Trust me, I have listened to plenty, but never came across any. When jinns are being talked about, the person who is talking about them is at risk. Jinns give warning signs to stop talking about them, like a vase shattering or a boom sound. If the person doesn't stop talking about them, they can cause serious harm, and in some cases, death. I have had and still have personal experience with jinns, and I would love to share them. However, there are warning signs that limit me on how much I can share. According to my mom, I have bad energy which attracts them and makes me the perfect victim. Often when I am walking around my house, I can see them from my peripheral vision. I haven't had a physical encounter in my teen years, but when I was younger, I would have horrible encounters with them that left me with bruises and accidents which thankfully didn't cause my death or my mental health to be shattered at a young age. I have so many stories I could share, but I'm going to be home alone all next week and I don't want to have a bad encounter with them. I would like to warn people to be careful about sharing these stories. Yes, we Muslims sometimes joke around about them, but the important thing to know is when it's not a joke. Stay safe. Thank you, Miriam. Um, This actually reminds me a little bit about skinwalkers from Navajo folklore. You were also not supposed to talk about them because it'll draw their attention to you. Well, here's hoping that I can record the rest of this podcast without any warning signs. And if anything weird does happen, I'll be sure to let you know. So, want to hear something scary? My new friend. The following is based on a story submitted by Ollie. What I'm about to tell you is going to sound impossible, and honestly, if it didn't actually happen to me, I probably wouldn't believe me either. I'm sort of known for being a little theatrical. I can't help it, I just love entertaining my friends. So one day after class, I was telling another one of my ridiculous stories to my classmates who had all gathered around me. And among them was a new face, a boy I hadn't seen before. He looked a little nervous. He kept glancing around at everyone and lightly giggling along. I figured he must have been new. I finished my story and everyone dispersed. Everyone except the new kid. So I introduced myself. Hi, I'm Ollie. Eric, he replied, rather robotically. Are you new here? Yes cool well i'm headed that direction do you want to join me yes as we walked and talked eric seemed to warm up a bit i asked him where he transferred from and he said that he'd been homeschooled up until recently i just want to be a normal kid he said and i'll do anything i can to help i told him i told him that he could join me in all my after-school activities and hang out with me and my friends and so he did Over the next month, we spent a lot of time together. We both auditioned for the school musical. I got a lead, but Eric didn't, so he became a techie behind the scenes instead. Then one week, Eric told me that he was going to throw a party at his place while his parents were out. He told me that he was going to invite people individually because he didn't want too many people finding out. I thought it was a little bit of overkill, but I respected his wishes and didn't tell any of my friends about the party. Friday night came. I knocked on his apartment door. I remember thinking it was eerily quiet and thought that I had arrived too early. Eric opened the door and welcomed me in. And I was immediately confused. Not only was nobody else there, there was nothing else. No furniture, no fridge or stove, basic apartment things. There was none of it. It was completely empty. The door slammed shut, and the lock slid into place. Uh, where's all your stuff? I asked, hesitantly. Stuff? He asked, with a genuine look of confusion on his face. You know, like tables and chairs. Oh, so houses need tables and chairs. Thanks for the note, Eric replied. That's why I like you, Ollie. You would do anything to help me. I started to feel a little lightheaded. My vision began to blur. I'm only going to borrow you for a little bit, if that's okay. It was slowly getting harder and harder to breathe. I was too weak to say anything. I fell to the ground, unconscious. When I came to, I looked around. Eric was nowhere. I had no idea how long I was out for, but I remember thinking that it only felt like 10 minutes or so had passed. I made a run for the door and ran back home. I found my mom in the living room. Mom, there's something I need to tell you. There's our star, how was the show tonight? My mom asked, what are you talking about? Closing night, silly, did it go well? The musical isn't for like six months, mom. My mom laughed at me. I pulled out my phone to check the date, but it was dead. I grabbed my mom's. Six months. It had been six months since I fell unconscious in Eric's empty apartment. How is that possible? I tried to explain everything that happened to me about Eric and the weird apartment, but my mom thought I was just trying to be funny. The worst part is I asked my friends the next morning about Eric and they all acted like he never existed. They think that I'm making up everything for attention But they hung out with him. He was real. I don't know how this happened, but I do know that wasn't me for the last six months. It was Eric living my life without my permission. And I have no idea where he is right now. So please, please be careful out there.
0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: And now, more Something Scary. Here's another listener story that I'd like to share. Ryan sent this in response to the Cursed episode from May 21st. He's a former demonologist, and him and his companion had an encounter with Zozo the demon. I was a Mormon missionary in Denver, Colorado, in July of 2000. We, myself and my missionary companion, got called to a family's house asking if we could bless their 12-year-old daughter because she had been acting very weird. So we went to their home, not sure what to expect. When we knocked on the door, a young man about the age of 16 answered the door and asked us to come in. Mind you, it's July and very warm outside, But as soon as we entered the house, it was like an arctic blast hit us. It was very dark inside the house, even with all the curtains and blinds open. The air was so heavy and thick, you could feel something was not right at all. The mother and father thanked us for coming. They were not members of our church, but had a family friend that told them we could come and help. We had no idea what we had gotten ourselves into. They guided us to the family room where their daughter was. She was about four foot, nine inches, and probably didn't even weigh 95 pounds, fully clothed and wet. She was just sitting in a chair in the middle of the room, looking down. We asked her if she was okay. No reply. She would not even acknowledge us. She just had this blank look on her face. We asked the parents if we could give her a blessing, This entails us putting our hands on her head and saying a special prayer by the power of God. They gave us permission to do so. As we laid our hands on her head, I began to give her the blessing. I barely got out the words, Dear Heavenly Father, when the girl opened her mouth and we heard what sounded like a thousand different voices yelling at us. We, we know, know you, Ryan. You're, you're not worthy, worthy to do, do this blessing. blessing. We, we know, know about, about the Playboy, Playboy magazine you stole from your neighbor's, neighbor's house when you, when you were a kid. kid. We, we know about what you and your girlfriend did in your car in And then the voices started going on about my companion and things he did in his past. It was crazy. There was no way this girl could have known my full name or anything about me. It took us back a bit, but we started over again. We began the prayer, and then she jumped out of her chair, picked me up with one hand, and threw me across the room. At that time, I was 300 pounds, standing six feet tall. She tossed me around like I was a leaf in the wind. I couldn't believe it. I got back up and asked her parents and her brother if they could hold her down while we did the blessing. It took all three of them, me and my companion, holding her down to keep her on that chair. We continued the prayer. All throughout this blessing, the voices were yelling and screaming, trying to distract us, and saying all kinds of horrible things about us, our families, her parents, her brother, trying desperately to distract us and get us to stop. After about an hour, we felt this thickness in the air just lift from her body and leave through the ceiling. She went limp in the chair and whispered the name so so her poor parents thought she was dead but she was still alive they took her to the hospital where she was treated for dehydration we went and visited her there the next day to check on her she said she couldn't remember what happened she said her last memory was talking on the phone with her girlfriend and then she was in the hospital we asked if she had any idea how this happened She told us a story about a week before she spent the night at her friend's house. They found a Ouija board under her friend's bunk bed, and they started playing. She recalled that they were contacted by a little girl's spirit who was murdered in that house about 25 years before, and she wanted their help in solving her case, to find the man who did it. According to this spirit, the only way was for her to enter the girl's body so they could see what happened. So... The 12-year-old agreed to do it, and then nothing happened after that. They stopped receiving answers from the board, so they went to bed. The 12-year-old said she would have moments of lost time the next few days, and would wake up, but would remember a voice that called itself Zozo. I saw the power of evil in this girl, but I also saw the power of God in full force, and how it prevailed. This thing is not something to mess around with. From Ryan, Vinny, and Gio. Ryan, if you're listening, I would actually love to know more about why you are a former demonologist and no longer one. That sounds like a very terrifying experience and I'm glad that that girl came out of it okay. Our next chapter was written by Kayla, about a girl whose imaginary friend becomes very real. There once was a girl named Kate. She was an only child and didn't have many friends. The friends she did have were more of acquaintances. Kate was really lonely since her mom had to work so often. She just wanted someone to play with. Kate was in her room, dreaming of what having a best friend would be like. Someone who loved to sing, draw, and act wacky, just like her. Then she heard the house door open. It was her mother, who had just gotten off her night shift. Hey, sweetie, how was your day? I hope it wasn't too boring. No, said Kate. I just wish I wasn't so alone all the time and had someone to hang out with. Kate's mom frowned and hugged her daughter. Well, when I was about your age, I used to be alone a lot, just like you. How did you deal with it? I made imaginary friends. It was silly and sometimes very strange, but it did help me. For a while, at least. Aren't I too old to have imaginary friends? Kate said. Kate's mom smiled and said, You're great at drawing. Why don't you draw a picture of what you want your friends to look like? Kate thought that sounded pretty fun. She got out her art supplies and began drawing. Her friend had long, beautiful blue hair, a pink dress with green stripes and light brown skin. She was astonishing. Kate was so proud of her picture, she went to go show her mom. But she had gone to bed, so Kate decided to show her in the morning. The next day, Kate went to get her drawing. But when she went to her desk, the drawing was gone. Not the paper itself, but the girl Kate drew on the paper. Kate just assumed she had misplaced it and decided to look for it after breakfast. She went to the kitchen to make herself some eggs. Then she heard a laugh. It scared her at first, but she figured it was just her mom. Then she looked at the time. It was 10.36. Her mother had to leave the house by 9, and never in her life had she been late for work. Kate grabbed a knife from the drawer and slowly headed for the hallway. Then she saw her. A tall, beautiful girl, maybe in her 20s, with long blue hair, a pink dress with green stripes, and light brown skin. Kate couldn't believe it. It was her friend, her imaginary friend she made. But if she was imaginary, why did she look so real? After a few minutes of silence, the girl spoke. Hi, my name is Jenny. It's nice to meet you, Kate. How do you know my name? How did you get into my house? Don't you remember me? I'm your imaginary friend. Kate just stared at her. So, are you like a ghost? No, I'm your imaginary friend. I'm as harmless as you imagine me to be. Kate lowered the knife. She became less scared and more curious about Jenny. After a few hours, she got to know her and found out they had a lot in common— Kate knew that Jenny was just a figment of her imagination, but she just could not understand how Jenny could feel so real, so physically there. How old are you? Kate asked. Jenny ignored the question. We're best friends now, Kate. i do anything for you. you do anything for me, right? Uh, yeah, of course. Then she heard her mother's voice calling for her. Kate ran over to her and jumped in her arms. Whoa, what puts you in such a good mood? My imaginary friend did. Do you want to meet her? Sure, sweetie. Where's the drawing you made? I'll just tell you what she looks like. Kate's mom listened, and the more Kate described her friend, the color started to drain from her mother's face. And how did you come up with this friend? I don't know. I just drew what I felt like drawing. How old is your friend? I'm not sure. She didn't tell me. Like, in her 20s, probably. Is her name Jenny? Yeah, how'd you know? Kate's mom shook her head in disbelief. Because that sounds exactly like an imaginary friend I had when I was your age. Wow, like, mother like daughter, I guess. Kate looked confused. Mom, stop messing with me. How is that even possible? I don't know. Her mom paused. But you should probably make a different imaginary friend. Why? I like Jenny. Don't you want your own special, unique-to-only-you imaginary friend, Kate? Kate stared at her mom. You're being really weird about this. This was all your idea, you know. Kate, I don't want to talk about it anymore, okay? I need to go to bed. I'm exhausted. Good night, dear. In the middle of the night, Kate was awoken by a loud scream coming from her mother's room. She ran over there and found Jenny with a bloody knife and her mom's body on the floor. Kate ran over to her mother, hoping and praying that she was really just imagining all of this. But it was very real, and her mother was dead. Jenny wiped the knife on her dress. She was going to stop us from being friends, so we had to get rid of her. Kate was in tears. Why? Because she got rid of me. She promised me we'd be friends forever, and then she grew up and abandoned me. But we don't have to worry about that anymore, Kate. Why would you do this to me, Jenny? Why? Why would I do this? Kate, we did this. Kate looked back down at her mother. That's when she noticed the blood on her pant leg, the knife in her hand. I'm just your imaginary friend. As harmless as you imagine me to be. Thank you very much for that story, Kayla. I like how it gets a little bit fight clubby towards the end. And our final chapter comes from Mary. It's a story about two best friends who take a blood oath. This story starts many years ago in the countryside with two girls named Adele and Maria. Their families were close growing up, so it was destined that they would be friends. They went to the same classes, had the same group of friends, wore the same outfits every day, and even looked fairly similar. The two were like conjoined twins, inseparable for life, no matter what. Then senior year of high school happened. Maria became a little bit more needy and clingy than she used to be. Adele found it a little obnoxious, but didn't want to think too ill of her best friend. After all, they were planning on going to different colleges and she figured Maria was just scared that their relationship was going to fall apart. The summer after their senior year, Maria took Adele into the woods behind Maria's house just before supper. After taking her to the darkest and most secluded part of the forest, Maria suggested that they both take a blood oath to promise that the two would continue to stay best friends even after death. Adele thought it was a little excessive. Maria, you know you're my best friend. Don't you think this is a little unnecessary? We're obviously going to stay in touch. Well, if it doesn't really matter whether or not we do the oath, we might as well do it, right? Maria insisted. Adele sighed. If this is what her friend needed to feel secure, she was fine with it. Maria took out a long slender knife from her pocket and both of them used it to cut their right hands. She cut her palm quickly and then gave it to Adele. Since it was so dark out, Adele struggled to find her palm. She ended up cutting herself from the top of her palm to the center of her middle finger. It was a small cut, but it still stung like hell. They pressed their palms together, cut to cut. Then the two returned to Maria's house for dinner. They ensured Mrs. Estrella, Maria's worrisome mother, that they simply scraped their hands on some trees while playing in the forest, and carried on like nothing ever happened. Adele and Maria went to their different colleges. As soon as Adele graduated, she got married, had two kids, and moved to a different city two hours away. She'd completely forgotten about the silly blood oath she took with Maria— The only times she'd remember was when her cut would randomly sting uncontrollably. She'd look at her hand and think about Maria and call her up. Then her hand would stop stinging. Maria often begged her to come visit, but Adele had a very busy schedule. Eventually, Maria stopped contacting Adele at some point. Adele assumed she gave up trying. At this point, it's been 20 years after the blood oath, and Adele is resting on the couch at night after a long day of work and watching TV. No matter how hard she tries, she cannot distract herself from the throbbing stinging from her cut. She sluggishly gets up from the couch and decides to call Maria for old time's sake. She walks to the house phone and dials Maria's phone number. But strangely, there's no reply. Maria always answered as soon as Adele called. Adele felt a twinge in her stomach. Her guts began to turn. Something felt wrong. She attempted three more times before giving up and returning to the couch. As soon as she turned around, the phone rang. Hoping it's Maria, she swiftly picks up the phone. Hey, Maria, how are you? I don't know who you are, but please stop calling this number. You have the wrong person. Mrs. Estrella's? There was a moment of awkward silence before the woman on the other line hesitantly said, Adele? Is that you? Adele and Mrs. Estreus engaged in small talk, talking about how they were, and Adele explaining what she's been up to since senior year in high school. It was when Adele asked where Maria was that the sickening feeling in her gut returned. Oh, you you haven't heard. Mrs. Estreus mumbled sheepishly. I'm afraid I haven't, Adele replied apprehensively, what happened? Maria died a few years ago in a car accident. Adele's body went cold and started shaking. At least that's what they say happened. We could barely identify the body because she was so torn. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I should not be sharing these details. It just doesn't add up. That's all. Adele could barely stand anymore. She immediately hung up and tumbled her way to the couch. Not only did she feel like she was going to throw up, but her cut was stinging as painful as ever. So many regrets and thoughts were buzzing through her head that were only silenced when she heard a knock at the door. Adele hesitated. She opened the door with hostility and flinched. Her husband's comforting voice snapped Adele back to reality. Hi, honey. Is everything all right? Adele shook her head and let him inside. I, I just found out that my friend died. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. They both sat on the couch and her husband held her as Adele started crying. But she immediately pulled away. Why do you feel so cold? Do you remember when we do this? Her husband muttered. What? Do what? Remember when we were this affectionate years ago? Remember when we, we made, made that oath? oath? Adele jumped off the couch and ran into the kitchen. You aren't my husband. We We took took a blood oath. Now we really will be together, no matter what. The intruder stood up and peeled her husband's skin off to reveal a freakish demon. Long, knotty black hair, wide bloodshot eyes, slender and tall, decaying skin, a smile from ear to ear. Before Adele could do anything, She heard a cry from the hallway. Mommy, what's happening out there? Adele saw her four-year-old walking towards her in the hallway and held her hands out for him to stop. Stay right there, sweetie. Don't come any closer. You're scaring me, Mommy. There's nothing to be scared of. I'm sorry, baby. Please just go back to bed. Mommy will come tuck you back in in a little bit, okay? Okay. Good night, Mommy. Good night. As soon as he closed the door to his room, the demon came towards Adele, but she held out her hand before it could come any closer. I just have one condition, she said. The demon gave her a slight nod. I don't want my kids to ever see you. They can never know, okay? The demon's smile stretched even wider. It stepped back into her husband's loose skin and pulled it back over itself like a wet flesh jumpsuit. After a few moments, all of the seams were sealed. As far as anyone could tell, that was her husband, and Adele was going to continue to live her life normally like nothing was wrong. She made a promise, after all. My New Best Friend was inspired by a story from Ollie and edited by Johnny Ashley. All other stories edited by Adam Sinker and Sapphire Sindalo. Music and editing for this podcast by Sapphire Sindalo. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscaryatsnarled.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and receive bonus content, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. Until next time, sweet dreams.